You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. I love a good tactical conversation, and that is what is in store for us today. I'm talking to my friend Jenny Foss, who is a job search specialist who has been in the game for quite a while, helping people navigate job searches, advance their careers, and make career pivots. If you are considering a job change, you better pause this episode and go grab a pen and paper because we cover a lot of useful topics. We start with how to bridge the gap between the job that you have and the job that you want. Jenny shares the secrets on what makes a great resume. And spoiler alert, it is not Times New Roman on one inch margins on one page. She has way more useful advice than that. At the end of the conversation, Jenny breaks down a step-by-step process to ask someone and conduct a successful informational interview. And that got me really jazzed up. You guys can see that I was really excited in that part because I know how impactful informational interviews have been on my career and how impactful they might be or how useful they might be for your career as well. Oh, oh, one other thing too. I always hated writing cover letters, but Jenny walked me through this simple framework for writing a cover letter so that it doesn't sound generic and it actually showcases your value as a candidate. And we actually loved that part of the conversation so much that we summarized the framework in a blog post on our website. So if you need that right now, you can click on the link in the show notes, or you can just go to tsirpodcast.com. If you're a listener of the show and you haven't left us a rating and review, I'd really appreciate if you did. Those go straight to my inbox and it lights me up every single time whenever I get to read something from you guys on why you like the show. And if you're new, You don't have to do anything. All I want you to do is sit back, relax, and let's learn something new. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the career consultant and newly published author of Do This, Not That Career, Jenny Foss. Glad we were talking about this kind of beforehand too, but what's a piece of advice from your book that could duel as a piece of advice found in Do This, Not That Dating? Well, there is a very relevant piece of advice in do this, not that career. And that is what to do and what not to do if you want to start dating a coworker. Mm-hmm. And so we run through the the pros and cons. And certainly if you do decide to to go down that road, which plenty of people do, how to do it in a way that is professional, but also hopefully doesn't jeopardize either your relationship or your job. That's fair. For the most part, I try to make it a hard rule that I just don't date with inside my work environment. But who knows? You find people in the most random places, right? Right. You never know where love will find you or where (laughs) you will find love. (laughs) Job, Jenny. Excited to have you on the podcast. So you wrote the book, Do This, Not That, career. There's also a companion book all about dating that's out there, but you quickly 
unqualified yourself to write that, but you are very <laughs> no one qualified. Asked me on that. <laughs> you are very, very qualified to write the career edition since you had a pretty successful career all around supporting people that are changing their jobs. And I enjoyed it. I like how quick and fast paced the book was moving at all point in times. And you broke it down into right. these sections between situations with your boss, your coworkers, advancing your career, becoming the boss. But I think I want the majority of this conversation to be focused on the first section, which is finding and starting a new job. So why don't we just start right there and Let's. maybe open it up with the question, when might it be the appropriate time to look for a new job versus when might be situations that you don't necessarily need to jump ship and maybe something can be changed within your current role? That's a great question. And I think this is something that a lot of people don't don't immediately go to in their mind if they're feeling the itch or something's not going as well as they want it to in their current job or they're bored, they're under challenged. I think the immediate assumption that many of us make across all ages, but certainly when you're younger in the work world is, I need to go find another job. I need mm -hmm. to leave this company and go to a different one. Whereas if you're already established in your company and doing great work, and there are things you do appreciate and, and like about the organization you're working for, why not think about what some opportunities might be for you that line up with maybe what you have in mind as, as your career path at the same company and start exploring that internally. And I think that's something a lot of people don't even think about. They just think, I gotta go. And I've definitely been at fault of that. I've thought that making a quick jump in some situations would fix all of my problems. And I realized it didn't fix those problems. And sometimes new problems came with that change. Yes. But yeah, I, we had a, it was way, way, way back, probably one of my early, I think it's episode 21. I talked to Ben Ritter and he talks about this concept of job crafting and really crafting your own job and figuring out the things that you enjoy about it and the things you don't enjoy about it. And of course, lean in, find more of the things that you do enjoy and get rid of in some kind of capacity, maybe delegate, maybe automate, systematize, ask your manager if you can no longer do these things in different capacities to find more sense of fulfillment and purpose from it. But sometimes you do just need to make a change. And yeah, it, maybe absolutely. you're not with the right company, not working for the right person, you don't like the industry, the product, et cetera. So with that in mind, maybe I've highlighted the job that I think I want. The job that I have now, I went to school and I'm like, yep, I decided I wanted to do accounting and I realized, oh, actually accounting is so boring and I don't want to do this at all. Instead, I want to be a music producer because I've dabbled in that and that sounds really fun and exciting. But that seems so out of reach with my current experience. How do sure. I bridge the gap there? How do I eventually get to music producer? Do I just start applying for music producer jobs and cross my fingers and hope somebody picks me? <laughs> <laughs> no, you do not. I mean, you can, maybe you'll get lucky, but if the person on the receiving end can't see any rhyme or reason as to why you're applying for their music producer job, you're probably not going to get very far at all. And you'll probably begin getting frustrated pretty quickly. So this is a great question. And it's something that I work with people on on a one on one basis pretty regularly. And it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people, when when they get to a spot where they're, I don't want to be the accountant I went to school to be, I want to be fill in the blank. If that divide feels 
pretty vast, they give up on it. They think, well, fine. You know, I went to school to be an accountant. My parents are counting on me to put my degree to use. I'm just going to keep going down this road. And, And that's a mistake because if you don't like it now, you're probably going to like it even less in five years or 10 years. So, so how do you get there? I would say thinking about what are those steps that you need to take to become a viable candidate for those roles? Look at those job descriptions and where are qualifications that you either know you already have and can bring to the surface on your your resume and in conversations, but also where are the holes and what's it going to take for you to fill those gaps, whether that's a course or an internship or even volunteer work so that it becomes much more plausible, logical, how you'd be a fit for that shifted role. And what I learned from you too is you don't necessarily need to make that direct jump right away. Sometimes the pond seems pretty vast, but there might be some kind of lily pad somewhere in between. So a transition job might be a really great opportunity. Yes, I love my lily pad analogy. But then I read somewhere that frogs don't actually jump from lily pad to lily pad. So it really (laughs) blew my mind. I still use that. So yes, if the leap that you really want to make, let's say accountant to music producer, seems just really big. How can you leverage the skills, the education, the experience that you have already and maybe jump to the middle of that pond, again, onto the lily pad, so that you're chewed up for the final jump across? And that might even be two jumps. So Maybe you do some accounting for a company in the music world. That's one example of a lily pad jump. Maybe you figure out a way to continue doing your accounting work, but maybe working part-time for a small local you know, production company. Whatever that is, it's going to cheer you up for the, for the bigger jump. I think so don't give sense. up on the bigger jump. Think yeah. about where those lily pads might be. I know. And I think it's a shame on society at large sometimes, too, that we should always be in or chasing our dream job. And for so many 20-somethings, we exit college not necessarily knowing what our dream job is. And then also putting so much pressure to get to that in such a short amount of time. But in traditional sense, we got like 40 years of career in front of us. We, in the grand scheme of things, can take a year or two to transition in and out of the things that we enjoy. You have a lot of runway and you can't possibly know, well, I guess you could, but it's, it's rare from my perspective to find someone who's, let's say, in their 40s who feels that when they got out of their undergrad at age 22 or 23, wherever that was, they knew exactly where they were heading And that's exactly how their career path has unfolded. It is just so uncommon now. So the point I want to make with that is let yourself have some grace and don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. Because even if you take a job where you feel as you've settled in, like, "Mm, this, this was a mistake, I'm getting off course, 
there's always something in any job that you take that's going to be of value as you move forward in your career. Here's my career path. I was a journalist out of my undergrad. I realized I really didn't love reporting. I loved writing. So I was recruited by a corporation to be a marketing communications and PR person, which I did that for a few years and I did like it a lot. And I evolved and grew to become a head of communications for another company. And then I woke up one day and realized this is not the career trajectory I want to be on. So imagine that moment 10 years into your career. And I took a very big leap of faith and resigned from that job, took a $50,000 pay cut and joined a friend of mine who co-owned a small recruiting agency. And I learned how to be a recruiter. I learned I was good at it. And ultimately, I was good enough to spin out and create my own recruiting agency because I kind of figured out the business model as we went. Then I got the idea for JobJenny.com, which was to be a place where people could come and get motivation, tools, expertise on how to navigate job search and how to proactively navigate their careers. If you would have asked me, Justin, when I was 23 and working at the Daily Tribune in Royal Oak, Michigan, if this is where I would be standing today, <laughs> there's no way I would have thought of that. But what I've discovered is that the culmination of my background, my skills as a writer, my ability to market, which this is what a lot of this is when you're looking for a new job, you're marketing yourself. And then my strong understanding of the world of corporate decision making when it comes to staffing, it all came together beautifully. But I will tell you, I would have never been able to figure that all out at age 23. I just had to go through it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm 10 years into my career as well and have made a couple of transitions in my career. And I finally feel like I'm getting to a place where I'm enjoying the serendipity of a career path. Of course, creating your own opportunities and guiding your career path, but also being okay with some of the unknowns and being curious about some of the things that are going to be coming into your career path as well. And if you take a left turn somewhere, that's okay. The only person that's really probably got to judge you for that in the long run is yourself, which I'm curious to pick your brain a little bit more about that transition out of head of communications into recruiter. Great. Taking a $50,000 pay cut might seem insane to some people that you were telling this in that current moment, probably even insane to yourself in that moment too. And I don't know if you were second guessing that decision just on a monetary sense, but also just the, what the hell am I signing myself up for kind of sense. <laughs> exactly. Well, a couple of things. One is there was a potential upside financially. When you are a recruiter, you have commission potential if you're doing a good job. So I made a guess that I would learn it quickly, or I guess I made a commitment to myself that I would learn it quickly and be good at it quickly so that it was less terrifying. So it's like holding your feet to the fire, right? And 
Yes, it was scary. But I think for me, it was scarier to look at my bosses and my boss's boss's jobs and think those are my next steps mm-hmm. because I knew I didn't want their jobs. Even if that were the logical path, I knew that wasn't the right path. I think I have long had a reasonably high risk tolerance, which helps. I do make calculated risks much of the time. And I thankfully have a risk tolerance. But I will tell you, through all of these major moves I've made in my career, I've always had people around me, loved ones, that were extremely hesitant and let me know in no uncertain terms that (laughs) these might not be the best choices. (laughs) Just the laughs on them. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So let's get into some practicals. Let's assume that we have done what we could around job crafting. We have identified that we do want to make a change and we have some sense of a direction on what change that might be. And we are ready to launch into our job search now. Yes. And the number one thing on the to-do list for the majority of people that are starting their job search tends to be the resume. It seems that we dust off the resume, we figure out what do we need to add here? What kind of design can we change on it to make me more attractive? So I want to ask you that question. What makes a great resume? Is it the Times New Roman font, one-inch margins on one page, saved as a PDF? Or is there something more to a great resume? A great resume makes it very easy for your target audience, whether that's a recruiter or a hiring manager, to quickly connect the dots between here's what we need and here's what Justin could walk through our doors and deliver. The easier you make that for them, the better the odds are that they're going to want to have you come in for an interview. They're going to want to know you. I would say among the first things I would do if I were getting ready to update or create a resume is study those job descriptions that you find yourself gravitating towards and that you've, you've ascertained would be a great next job for yourself. And, and being realistic too, right? Are the, these should be jobs that, that are not only appealing to you, but that you feel you could readily step into. If you look at three or four job descriptions, you can figure out pretty quickly what the most common overlapping patterns are in terms of, of the requirements, the skills they're looking for. What's the phrasing that they're using over and over again? And so you'll find a lot of hints inside those job descriptions on how you need to update or refocus your resume so that you are making, I call it, smack in the forehead, obvious sense to those that you're trying to to entice. Yeah, and I think I've been at fault of this a few times in my career, too, of just using my resume as like a list of accomplishments. Like here's, here's my education. Here's my career. Here's what I've done in said career. Here's my extracurriculars. And I pretty much just left it as that. And I tried my best to tailor a resume anytime that I was like submitting it for a job search here and there, but never necessarily thinking it through the lens of a marketing document versus just a, once again, 
living document of this is everything I've done up until this point. And that's that's pretty common. And in fact, I think a lot of universities still are teaching the kind of laundry list sort of resume development. But the problem with a resume like that is that you're leaving it in the hands of somebody else to determine if you make sense for that job, to make deductions on your behalf. Oh, Justin did this. That must mean he knows how to do that. And they're not doing that for you. That's your job. And if you don't do it, somebody else that's applying for that same job is making themselves make perfect sense. So who do you think they're going to contact first for an interview? The person that put the time and effort to make it smack dab clear in my face that this is why you should hire me and this is why I'd be successful in this role. Exactly true. You know, I know that makes it more time consuming, but another thing that is time consuming is throwing a whole bunch of generic resumes out to the universe and and hoping someone, anyone will give you a call back. Yeah, Ugh, that's a frustrating feeling and moment as well to realize you're landing on deaf ears and you're not exactly sure why. And it sounds like it comes back to marketing. Do you have any resume no-nos though in terms of some things as somebody that has probably seen many and many of resumes over time too? These are kind of my absolute don't do this in terms of or resumes? I think one is absolutely don't freak out if you need more than one page to <laughs> convey your messaging in a powerful and succinct manner. Somewhere along the line, we all kind of got brainwashed into thinking that if we have more than a one-page resume, the world is going to spin off its axis <laughs> and nobody's going to want to talk with us. I will tell you from 15 years of recruiting that if the resume does a good job of helping that reviewer understand how and why you line up for those jobs, they don't care if it's a two-page resume. Now, make the words earn their spot on the page, mm. but I do think that in terms of a no-no, a no-no would be don't try to cram everything onto one page if you're at a spot career-wise where it's going to be strategically advantageous for you to go to a page and a half or two. Yeah, that makes sense. Another no-no I would say would be trying to stuff keywords. I think that's something that you can do a Google search and, and I think you can go down this rabbit hole of the importance of keywords, which honestly, yes, you want to, again, have relevant skills and wording in that resume. So it makes sense. But there are always humans in the mix of decision making for job search. And so if you construct something that is just totally geared toward, I'm going to beat the bots, I'm going to beat the resume mm -hmm. scanning software. And then it's just this dud of a read for the recruiter who opens up the file. That's not going to be super advantageous for you. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me either. And it would seem very out of place as well. And I could see myself tossing resumes just because that didn't feel right. What about cover letters? Are you in or out on cover letters? Oh, this is such a great debate. 
<laughs> I go round and round on Twitter with some of my recruiter friends on this. So I will say that not everybody reads cover letters, but in the same breath, I will say plenty do. So are you going to assume that no one does and just not write one? Or are you going to create a compelling cover letter that could actually serve as a decided advantage in helping that reviewer get to know who you are and why they might want to meet you? I would vote for the latter all day long. Yeah. And can you expand on that? Because what I found as a struggle whenever writing cover letters is just I'm changing a sentence here. And then that's my cover letter. And it feels very generic every single time that I'm submitting a cover letter. Good question. And if anybody listening has access to LinkedIn Learning, I do have a couple of cover letter courses over on LinkedIn Learning. So you can pop on over there and check those out. But here's the structure that I use for cover letters. I open the cover letter with a few sentences that say something to the effect of, I know exactly who you guys are and here's what I love about this organization or your products. Here's why I'm applying for this job. So that tells the reviewer, I'm not out wallpapering the universe with applications, even if you are, I want to work for you and here's why. And then I segue into answers to the question, what specifically would I offer to X company as your next whatever that position is. So what would I offer to you as your next marketing manager? And then I set up three or four short sentences with strategic bold print of things that you have experience with and skill in that line up directly with what you're looking at in the job description as requirements or what you've heard about from a recruiter would be the most important traits to showcase, but you're basically saying, here's who I am and why I want to work for you. Here's exactly what I can walk through your doors and deliver. And at the end, asking the opportunity to learn more about their goals and challenges and share some detail on what you can offer. Very well broken out. I appreciate that breakdown. Are you doing that for all the jobs that you're applying for? Yes. (laughs) I guess that's a loaded question. Maybe why apply for jobs that you don't want to put the effort in to actually create a cover letter for? Is that where you're guiding me towards? Some of the like easy applies and things like that. There's not an opportunity to add a cover letter. So I wouldn't not apply for the job if you can't send the cover letter. But in any opportunity you have to really say, here's who I am, why I'm showing up here and what I can offer. Yeah, I would do that. And I'm actually having a bit of a debate today with a client who wants, I call it the Mad Libs cover letter. Like you just fill in the blanks, you swap words in and out titles and and it's essentially the same cover letter. My team will write that cover letter, but we see way better results among our clients who are being thoughtful and explaining exactly where they're coming from and and why they want to be there. So what did you mean by beating the bots? So I'm not sure if everybody would necessarily realize this, but when it comes to applying, 
for different positions. They're typically going to some kind of online job search like ZipRecruiter, Monster, Indeed. And that might be funneling to a company's ATS and or they might be applying directly through a company's ATS too. So can you explain the mechanical process being on the backside of this and kind of seeing from firsthand experience what happens? So the applicant tracking system, the ATS, the bots, most companies today use them unless they're a small company. And they're designed to help organizations bring in a large batch of applicants, parse your information into various data files in data fields, and then have the ability to do searches and access those candidates that are deemed to be the best fit. So if I'm a recruiter, I'm going in and I'm saying, hey, I want to look for the candidates that have come in that have this background, that background, these skills, and then my search will turn up those candidates first. Now, I think given that it is smart to be mindful of the format of your resume, making sure that it's pretty straightforward and, and not dropping into the system as a, as a mess, the keywords, the titles, that you meet all of the baseline requirements, the requirements. You don't have to meet all the skills and preferred requirements. But if they're putting baseline requirements out there and you're planning to apply online, you should make sure you have those or think about another way to approach that company because you won't likely be flagged as a, yes, we want to talk to this person if you are lacking those. So you do, if you're applying for things online, want to just be cognizant that it's not just going to the inbox of the HR director or a talent acquisition person. It's actually also passing through scanning software, which is also the database that recruiters are using to draw from to find people that they want to contact. That makes sense. I have heard, and a, another guest actually said this too, if he had an hour of time to spend a day on the job search, he would not be spending all of that time submitting his resume through online applications. He would spend time connecting with his wishlist companies and doing almost some backdoor job search strategies. Yes. Can you talk through a little bit of that strategy if either people are not finding success through online applications and or they just want another avenue in order to, to take? Oh, yes. A million percent, yes. Now, I will say there are, quote unquote, career experts, coaches out there that will say, don't apply for anything online. That's baloney. First of all, it's just not practical. But also, there are plenty of people that get jobs by applying online. So, yeah. but it isn't the most efficient and effective way a lot of times to get the attention of those making the decisions. So if you do have a wish list of companies that you're really interested in, and if you don't, it would be great to create one. Why not figure out some people at those companies, whether they're fellow alumni that you've gone to school with, you can find them through LinkedIn, whether they're friends of friends, or maybe you even have a direct connection with somebody at those companies and see if you can have an informational interview with them 
see if you can have a conversation to learn more about what do you like about your job? What's this team like? If you were me and really wanted to join this company, what are some of the skills that you would say I should really make sure I have? Asking questions of somebody on the inside can be extremely beneficial on its own, but also help you build connections at that organization or those organizations that could very well benefit you in terms of having someone who will open doors for you and make introductions. I'm a huge proponent of informational interviews. And I think that's something that getting proficient and desensitizing yourself to the scariness of them, I think a lot of people are nervous about doing them, can be extremely helpful all through your career. Definitely. You perked me up because this is a a topic that I am very passionate about as well. And I've really seen the power of informational interviews in a lot of different aspects, job search, sales, et cetera. So let's double click on that and talk through this a little bit more mechanically. And and we'll take, I think the alumni approach is, is a great potential approach. Unless somebody comes to top of mind that you already know that's working at one of your dream jobs and or working in a job function that you think might be your dream job function as well. Right. Because HR generalists typically tend to know other HR generalists even outside of their own company as well. Correct. So I think both approaches are great. I go on LinkedIn. I search for the company. Just type it into the the search function. Then you can click on said company and you can see first degree, second degree connections that you know. You can see alumni that work at that company. So I've done that. I've identified somebody. Now, how do I reach out? Like, what do I say? When you reach out to either a warm or a cold approach contact, I would be curious, I would be succinct, and I would make it very, very easy for them to say yes. Here's what I mean by that. So I'm a Michigan State Spartan. I would put a subject line in my in-mail if I were reaching out to a fellow Spartan that said, go green because they're going to feel compelled to say go white. (laughs) That's what we do. Go green. Would love to chat about your work, something like that. And then a very quick note that says, hi, Justin, I'm Jenny Foss. I'm a fellow Spartan. Also went through the communications arts program. I noticed that you have been working as a PR strategist at XYZ Company. And I am actually really interested in this company myself. Might you be willing to spend 15, 20 minutes on a quick phone call and share a little bit more information about yourself and your work? So making it very easy. But here's my my pro tip. Get yourself some free scheduling software. I mean, or pay for it if you want to. But Calendly.com has a free one. Mm -hmm. which will integrate with your Outlook or your Google Calendar. But what you can do in that first approach, say, if you're open to doing so, I welcome you to grab any convenient 15-minute slot right here on my calendar. If you prefer I work through your calendar, great, would be happy to do that too. What that calendar link does is allows that person they don't even have to respond to you to say yes. They can just click into the link and schedule something and you, you know that they're saying yes. But what this eliminates is this whole, okay, thank you, Justin. 
could you possibly do Thursday at 4 p.m. Central Time? Oh, that doesn't work for you. How about Monday at 9 a.m. Central Time? Like that whole back and forth that nobody wants to do. (laughs) You certainly don't want to do it with a stranger. So again, showing curiosity, making a specific ask, asking for only a short amount of time. I mean, if you get to the end of that 15 minutes and you're like, this is a really great conversation, but I want to be respectful of your time may I ask one more question? And then making it really easy for them to schedule that. Mm, so good. And I've seen this success on both sides. People have been very receptive when I've made this ask. And honestly, I've been asked this a time or two as well. And then it always lights me up. I'm always excited about people that are curious about what I do or the company that I work for. And if I can be a sponsor for them, because at the end of the conversation, I'm like, I love you, Jenny. I would love to get you to my company. I will do that. <laughs> but where I see well, it fail, me then. <laughs> what I see it fail is whenever it becomes too challenging to schedule said call and or they show up to the conversation. And I feel like I'm driving the conversation. So do you have right. some best practices right. around? Oh, do I? I'm yes. there now. I'm there. How do I actually do an informational interview? Yes. And also, this might be a good time to just quickly mention, I do have a a LinkedIn newsletter. It goes out monthly. It's called Steer Your Career. And just recently, one of the newsletters just broke down the whole process of asking for and conducting an informational interview. Oh, great. So that, that might that, be worth a peek. Is that like now a blog post or something as well that we can it's, reference? It's a LinkedIn newsletter. So it, it's accessible through oh, LinkedIn, but I, it, can, I can share the link to that. No problem. But perfect. really, you, you hit on something important. When you're asking someone for an informational interview, you're the interviewer. You are not the interviewee. It's also not a job interview. So Mm -hmm. going into it, know that it would be called a job interview if that's what it were. It's a meeting designed to allow you to collect some information and hopefully build a relationship with somebody of interest. I think questions that are great to ask would be, how did you get your start? What were some of the important moves you made to get into the position you're in now? What do you think the organization really values in its team members and employees? Anything that has surprised you about working for this company? What are your priorities coming up? And I mentioned this a little bit ago. If you were in my position, what would be some of the next steps you took to make sure you're well prepared to compete for a job on this team or at this company? Do you ever make an ask at the end of those if you know you're applying? A great ask at the end of the conversation would be, well, one is, may I follow up with you in a month or two if I have any other questions or whatever? But also, hey, this has been a really great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Based on our chat, can you think of another person or two that I should probably introduce myself to to Mm. continue gathering information. So that might spawn additional connections that could be really helpful for you, not only in gathering input, but obviously building more relationships. I love that ask. That's a really great ask. I feel like an easy ask for someone and a way for you to continue building momentum and applying the network effect. And then all of a sudden, 
five or six people know that you're interested in a role in this team. And then said hiring manager has heard from two or three of these people that this Justin guy is interested in this role. Maybe I need to reach out or be aware of who this person is. Yep. And when you're done with that discussion, of course, you're going to send a thank you message to them. But also, if you implement a bit of advice that the person has given you and it's successful, always loop back and say, hey, we talked six weeks ago. And at that time, you suggested I do this. And I just want to let you know, that was such great advice. And this happened after that. And I really appreciate it. You know, people love feeling useful. They love knowing that their expertise or their suggestions were helpful. And just looping back and telling that person is a huge thank you to them. Yeah, I would agree with that. It also makes me so equipped if I get a job interview too. Now I know so many talking points on a company. I might've known about a recent employee appreciation event that they did. I know about some of the struggles that they're having, an initiative that they're working on, how some of the company is actually structured, what the history of the company is. You can pick up so many little things through these short conversations with multiple people that you can then apply in your job interview and tailor it more so so that once again, they know that you are equipped and ready to handle this role. Yeah. Even something so simple as, you know, the job description does not always give you the complete picture of what that hiring manager is looking for and what the priorities are on the team. So if you can get a little intel, somebody who says, yeah, I know that's on the job description, but what this hiring manager is really looking for is somebody who can come in and clean up this mess or whatever. Then as you go into the interview process, you can share input strategically based on your insider scoop. Definitely. Can we finish up this conversation talking about a couple of interview discussion points? Yes. One being, how do I talk about myself, my accomplishments without coming across as bragging? I think this is something that's innately uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's challenging. Well, and I think many of us are, are raised to be humble. Don't overtoot your horn. Don't be cocky. And so when it comes time to put your best foot forward in a job search, it feels excruciating. And that's unfortunate because what happens with a lot of people is we dramatically undertoot our horns and, mm-hmm. and that's not going to get you anywhere. So I think just getting comfortable in owning your accomplishments and what makes you really good at what you do and something that you could do when asked a question that feels awkward to really like, oh, I'm going to brag if I say this. You could always say something I've been called out on pretty frequently in my annual reviews is my strength in doing S. Mm. Or I just had a conversation with my manager about a topic where she said that I'm always able to make the customers feel at ease, even in really stressful situations. So if you're struggling to just board it out, like this is what I do really well, you could always say, I always get this feedback. This is something that I hear frequently. So it feels a little less 
like I'm just showboating. Yeah. <laughs> I find it really hard. I've sat through quite a few interviews too. And I see the struggle and I've also had the struggle of this large fraction of people that undersell themselves and are not confident about what they're bringing to the job. And then the small fraction of people that are overzealous and really feel like they deserve this job. And I, I struggle with that group primarily because learning and curiosity and humbleness are all things I'm typically looking for in any employee. But there's this Goldilocks sweet spot of people that are confident. They know what they bring to the table, but they're also willing and open and realize they're walking into a new position as well. So it, it is a challenge. Like I don't, it's hard to do, I think. It is. And I, I think it's kind of a, a lifelong study. <laughs> not, not necessarily a study, but I mean, not necessarily a struggle, but knowing that you're not going to go from being terrified to market yourself to being world-class overnight. It's something that comes with time and, and focus. But if, if you have a determination to, to become somebody who can comfortably own your accomplishments and, and what makes you great, I think that's a really important and advantageous capability. I've been seeing these pay transparency laws pop up, New York, <laughs> They're Cali <coming> up. <laughs> California too recently. What's your thoughts, opinions on those? Do you have an opinion? I do, actually. It's funny you asked this because I just recently wrote an article on this exact topic for the Muse. So it's kind of the Wild West right now. So there are states and certainly large cities that have recently or are about to roll out laws where it's required that employers post a fair best guess salary range on every job description. And I think in terms of moving us toward pay equity, that's an important step. But it's actually quite hilarious to see some of the pay ranges on these job descriptions. I think there was one for Citibank that was zero to two million. I know. And when they, like, it went viral, and when it yeah, went yeah. viral, they went, oh, that was a glitch. And, and it ended up being something that was still like a hundred thousand dollar plus divide between the low and the high salaries. So I think it's just going to take some time. Employers have become so used to not having to post that information that I think there's some mixed reaction to it. I think there's probably some fear that that might mean, oh, we lose the negotiation power if we put that out there. But I think overall, it's helpful for job seekers and also it's going to lead to better things. I would agree. Hi there, podcast listeners. This is Kyle with the Struggles Real Team. You know, the better looking of the Peters boys. One big, big favor to ask. Please take a moment and give us a five-star review. Justin is an incredible host and he's bringing so much value to the self-development space. We want to help young professionals figure out this whole adulting thing. And by leaving us a rating, you can help us do it. Thank you. You're the reason that we continue to do what we do. Now, back to the show. Well, I'm guessing you have some thoughts on negotiating and talking through the back end of interviews. Maybe we can have you on for a part two to really discuss that. 
at some point in yes, time. Yes, that would but, be great. But Jenny Foss, clearly you write a whole lot. You have some great material out there. You have a new book. Can you share with the audience a little bit about that book, where they can find the book? Absolutely. As of yesterday, well, by the time everybody's listening to this, it will be uh, as of recently. <laughs> Do this, not that career. It's 81 very quick lessons. Each of them is two pages that will walk you through all kinds of job search, career development, and workplace scenarios. So anything from, I don't know how to do an informational interview, to my boss is a micromanager, to I'm a new boss, and I'm a lot younger than my employees, like things like that. It's, it's designed to be something that, sure, you can read cover to cover, but it's also great if you just want to flip it out and situationally look up something that in the moment are dealing with. So it was fun to write. And I think it's going to be a great resource for young professionals, for sure, those who are building their careers. Yeah, I really like it. All 81 scenarios are two pages. And sometimes it didn't feel like enough almost, but then I realized the purpose of it, of this quick field guide that exactly. I find myself in the situation right now Find that chapter. Tell me what not, to do right now. Yes. Yes. I could not think of one situation that you hadn't written about that I was like, oh, wait, she probably didn't cover up. Oh, yep, she did. And flip to that, get some really quick, high level best practice thoughts. I liked that. And, and then, talking points. Yes. And talking points. And what I really like too is that if that's not enough or you have a little bit more time to explore the topic, then you can just hop over to jobjenny.com or find you on LinkedIn because you're pretty consistent there on LinkedIn. And you have an extensive knowledge base of all of these topics as well. Well, thank you. I've been <laughs> at it for a while. <laughs> I know, I know. Very good stuff. I really like it. I now saved it as a, a favorite link of mine too. Anytime that someone's got job search questions or career questions in general, I always know that I can flip over to your site, find that and send them a helpful article. So well, I, I appreciate, appreciate you. And, yeah, and, and you... You put a lot of free resources out there, especially for the, you know, struggling 20 somethings or 30 somethings that might not be able to afford an executive coach as well. You Correct. are so yes. giving. Well, thanks. Well, gosh, <laughs> I'm not sure how to respond to that. Yes, Justin, I sure am. <laughs> I mean, I just know. I, I mean, there are people who, who either can't do the one-on-one -on -one services or are really much more inclined to want to do it themselves and just do their reading, do their homework, watch a LinkedIn learning video and figure it out. And so it's just really nice that I've had the opportunity over these years to create a business that blends both. So it's accessible to really just about anybody who, who wants to find a job, grow their career, pivot into something new, or even launch into entrepreneurship. So I have had some people that I've worked with around that as well. Very cool. Jenny Foss, bring us home. You know my final question. If you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? I think this goes back to what we were talking about in terms of informational interviewing, but it's a bigger topic where it's maybe something around the value of curiosity and asking curious questions and learning how to reach out to others for support in ways that 
will be beneficial to you and, and perhaps spawn a relationship that's beneficial to both of you over time. I mean, for really everyone, but certainly with younger adults, it seems really scary to reach out to an established professional or somebody 10, 20 years older than you because it's intimidating. And I don't think it should be, but I will say as someone who now is kind of on the other end of the spectrum that gets approached a lot, there are great ways to approach and less great ways to approach. But I would love to teach that. I would love to teach people to be able to confidently and impactfully put themselves out there for those conversations. Because I, I do feel so strongly that they can be life changing, certainly career changing. No doubt. Jenny Foss, aka Job Jenny, find her at jobjenny.com. She's also very active on LinkedIn as well. Jenny, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for giving so much time today. Well, thank you. It's, it's been a great chat and I'm excited to stay in touch for the negotiation part. <laughs> stay tuned, everyone. That should definitely be a fun one. I will have many, many of people that reach out that say, yes, please. So I'm looking forward to having you back. All right. Sounds great. All right, folks. That was Job Jenny. Once again, Jenny Foss, she wrote the book, Do This, Not That Career. There's also a dating book that's out there on a very similar format as well. I really enjoyed my conversation with her. I thought she brought home both a lot of tangible opportunities for you to go out into the job market, but a lot of actually just reassurance as well that you are capable of doing this, that you can make the transition. If you are in a role currently that you are not necessarily excited about, life is too short to be sitting around and not doing anything about it. So go out there, take a chance, and then use some of those tactics around the job search, resumes, online applications, and the interview process to really make sure and solidify that you will get that job. So if you guys enjoyed that, you can find the show notes at tsirpodcast.com. And of course, we'd always love to hear from you. We're on Instagram at tsirpod. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for tuning into the episode. Here's what you can expect next on The Struggle is Real. Most of my successful partners, either short-term or long-term, began because I said yes to things that I was excited about and noticed the people around me. I truly believe encouraging yourself to meet new people by saying hello to that person behind you at a coffee shop or at the gym, not because you want to date them, but because you're genuinely curious in who they are as a person is the best way to find someone that you might be compatible with. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you like this conversation today, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified about new episodes. I'm your host, Justin Peters. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.